Welcome back, Two Hats family, to the Two Hats podcast, a community corrections, community supervision, probation, parole, pretrial services podcast. And this is episode number 10, the big 10. So we're, we're pretty excited about that. We hit double digits. I'm your host, Chris, the tactical probation officer, and this is my wonderful co-host. It's Brittany, your favorite PO. And as always, guys, we have another great interview planned for today. We have Irena. Irena is a probation officer in the Commonwealth of Virginia, um, which one day I'm going to learn the difference between the Commonwealth and the state. One of these days. I was just about to ask you that. I'm going to hit that Google one day and figure that out. Uh, But we're going to have a great episode today. um, And she's going to drop a lot of knowledge on us and we're going to have a great time. Irena, go ahead and say hi to the family. Hi, everybody. I'm so happy to be here. So can't wait to, you know, discuss with Chris and Brittany. I can't see how bubbly she is, but she's <laughs> uh, pretty excited. Um, all right, all right, Raina. So we start all our episodes off with uh, two standard questions that we ask everybody, and then we'll get, jump right into the interview. On For your agency, on a scale of one to 10, the two-hat scale, with a one being a social worker and 10 being a cop, a deputy sheriff, where does your department fall on that scale between one and 10? We're definitely uh, three and a half. Ooh, you're on the yeah. Britney side of the scale. Oh, yeah. Big up. <laughs> uh, tell us a little bit more about that. Why do you say you guys are uh, towards more towards the social worker aspect? So for us, w- opposed to, I guess, what a lot of people think POs are as far as, you know, being law enforcement, going out and doing similar things that that police or sheriffs do we don't have any of those powers at all um so for lack of better words you know I sit behind a desk and my clients come to me and we have those those conversations with our clients um you know that's not to say that we don't file arrest warrants or do anything like that but we aren't you know we aren't hands-on our conversations are conversations you know we're not we're not arresting people. We're not detaining you until somebody comes. You know, if you want to run, run. <laughs> we'll find you. <laughs> but we're not gonna 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 hold you down, you know, until yeah, somebody you comes against you. Brittany, you and Brittany will get along quite well. All right, <laughs> <laughs> uh, go ahead, Brittany. All right. So what made you get into this profession to begin with? What sparked your interest for this? So I never really thought I was going to be a PO. Um, my mom comes from uh, dealing with with homeless people. So she was a case manager at a homeless shelter. So when I was younger, um, I would always be with her because the homeless shelter was literally around the corner from our house. So after school, sometimes I would go over and volunteer. Um, I got my undergrad in Homeland Security and Emergency Preparedness. So I was like, I'm going to go fight terrorists and I'm going to save the world and, you know, make this this huge impact. And uh, I did an internship with the court and I interned with the Supervised Visitation and Exchange Program. So dealing with families who were dealing with custody issues and I was the one supervising their visits with their kids. Um, a lot of, well, at that time, a lot of people we're also on probation due to domestic related issues. So like domestic violence, violating protective orders, things of that nature. Um, and then a promotional position came open in probation. So I applied for it and got got it. And then, you know, I've just kind of been in love ever since. So how long has it been? How long have you been in that role? Since 2013. The, damn. Oh, yeah. that's a long time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
was not prepared for that answer. <laughs> okay, so are you looking to retire with your department or what's your future plans for this? Um, I mean, I definitely would love to retire with the county. Um, not, you know, I'm not like, oh my God, I have to retire, you know, in our community corrections unit. Um, but I work for Fairfax County. So there's so many different opportunities you know, within the county, I could move to say like Department of Family Services or Community Services Board. So, I mean, definitely looking forward to retiring within the county, maybe not necessarily the agency. So you have a lot of tips for our viewers um, and listeners, (laughs) for those who are listening on Anchor or Spotify. Since you have been in it for so many years, tell us what was the craziest thing that you've ever had experience with an offender? So I think I've experienced a lot of crazy things, but I'm like sure. the, the weirdest thing, which I don't think is necessarily crazy. So the house that I live in, right, <laughs> I'm meeting with my client, everything's cool, you know, and then I get a call from the victim. Oh. And she's like, oh, like, do you drive a red car? <laughs> like, this is like when I have my own car. And I was like, possibly like what what can I help you with like um and she's like oh you live in Mr. Such and Such's old house I was like what like so I bought my client's grandmother's home (laughs) so I was like at least at least it wasn't and by no means am I saying like I'm scared of clients or anything like that you know but at least it wasn't a client that I was like oh my god he's gonna come to my house and try to kill me because we have an awful relationship so that's kind of like the weirdest small world <laughs> the, right? yeah su- yeah super small world and kind of like on the same lines as that I work in the jurisdiction that I grew up in so it's like oops can't take this case I know this person or you know this is such and such as mom can't take this case so now, does that happen quite often for you since you do live in that county um well, I moved, I moved out after I graduated college, um, <laughs> but, you know, still growing up there, it doesn't happen um, um, as often. And then when I first started, I was also in the area, like the, the section of the county that I was supervising people in was the same area, you know, that I grew up in. So it doesn't happen as frequently now, used which to is always be really uh, weird to me when you would see offenders out in public or ones that you know and they come to the office. Most of the time, they would be like shy. They would like not want to say anything to me. So, mm-hmm. did you find that people that you knew from the old neighborhood they would speak to you, be open with you? Definitely. I mean, it was a lot of and and because our because the county is kind of divided into various probation units and mine is specific to domestic relations, unless it was really a, a family dispute or something of that nature, I, I wasn't seeing them. So it would be more so at the courthouse. And it's like, you know, I was kind of like the goody two shoes. So it's like, what is Arena doing in the courthouse? And they're like, what are you doing here? And I'm like, it's my ID. What are you doing here? And they're like, oh, you know, da 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 da. So I mean, it's not it wasn't weird. It was just like, I'm not surprised you're here. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I figured you would be here. Yeah. Okay, Chris, what you got? Uh, Raina, so, um, right, so probation in Virginia, how's it, is it, is it down to the county level or is it a state, a state program? So there's, um, so you have local community-based probation, which is, which is what I do, which also has, um, local pretrial. So anything that is felony, or misdemeanor related that is still within the general district courts. So like the district level courts, um, 
we supervise in Virginia, there's the juvenile and domestic relations district, which is um, a lower level. And then the general district court, which is also lower level Then you have circuit court. Um, so circuit court mainly takes felonies on occasion, they'll take uh, misdemeanor cases. So when you look at it from a probation aspect, uh, at the level that I work, we supervise all or majority of local misdemeanor cases. Um, and the general district court does that for the local misdemeanors in their court. And then uh, state PMP, so state probation and parole, they're the ones that typically um, supervise the, the felony cases. And then obviously federal will have any federal cases and things of that nature. Hmm. That's a different, uh, that's a different um, kind of system. Um, because back in PA, there's probation is down to the county level, county level, and then there's state parole, which covers anyone coming out of prison. They're they're a state agency. Mm-hmm. Where I'm at now, it's a state agency that we do probation and parole, you know, regardless of what county. Um, so it's different. That, so basically, there's two different agencies in your in your state. There's the county level probation, and then there's a higher level state probation and parole. Yes. So they're all, so it's all through the state. So state PMP is through DOC, which is Department of Corrections. Mm -hmm. And then the local probation um, and pre-child that supervised essentially through DCJS, which is the Department of Criminal Justice Services. Have you ever considered going over to the state side? No. Is there a reason why? they get paid less (laughs) and they do. Yeah. They get paid way, you know, way less than we do. And they, I don't want to say that I don't want to deal with more high risk cases, but when I look at, I feel the impact that I can make local is more significant than what I could make at the state level. Like I'm, I'm personally like, I don't, I don't want to be armed. I don't want to go in and have to serve search warrants and things of that nature. I know some people love that, but that's just not my style. Understandable. Understandable. So what kind of caseload do you have now? Goodness. Yeah, so most of, well, pretty much all of my cases stem from the Juvenile and Domestic Relations District Court. So those are domestic violence offenses, uh, violations of protective order, strangulation, um, sex crimes against a minor. Um, So pretty much anything that is familial related or anything that deals with an adult and the victim is a minor. Hmm, that's actually a really interesting um, combination because normally um, there's a domestic violence caseload and then there's a sex offender caseload. So yours is kind of mixed. Yes. So majority of our cases are definitely domestic violence. However, um, we do have a few few sex offenders. I'm currently, for example, supervising um, a murder case. Um, so we run the gambit, especially, you know, when things come to family, a lot of different things happen. So. Um, wait, wait, so, uh, in Virginia, y'all get probation for murder? So Why this is, so this is pretrial. So I do, I have a dual okay. case of okay. probation and pretrial. So, I mean, I, I don't know what happens if somebody actually gets convicted of murder, but, um, I would hope they would go to prison. I, yeah. I would hope they would potentially go to prison, but if they're released on parole, I don't, I don't touch that. So, I mean, I can understand the parole ass side of it because they, they did time time. Okay, so in Virginia, you get pretrial for murder. <laughs> like, I'm just so, kind of confused. I feel like for murder, you kind of you kind of sit there and you kind of just wait your turn. 
Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I think, you know, every situation is different. They let people out, you know, obviously, so we have what we call presumption cases, right? So the presumption is, and I guess, let me, let me backtrack before I get into that. So I also on occasion do bond motions and arraignments. So if you get arrested, I'm the one doing that hearing with the judge, um, the morning or afternoon of, and we make an assessment based on, you know, uh, a risk assessment based on different factors that we take into account. And therefore- Like a pre-assentence investigation, kind of like that, like a PSI? No, because this is like even pre a PSI. This is literally, this is what's occurred the night before, or you just got arrested for this charge. Should you be released? And if you are released under what conditions, if any, um, or should you remain detained? So based so, on so our if it's murder, you just say no more murdering while you're out. No, like... no, no. So, so, <laughs> so, so what? So I think first of all, we have to say these are alleged offenses, right? You're not convicted of it, so it's still alleged. You know, we don't, we don't, I don't know, uh, you know, if you did it or not. So there are certain cases that are presumption cases. So we presume, or there's the presumption um, against bond. So we wouldn't be requesting bond, but then. The attorney can file a bond motion, have that argument in front of our judges. If they deem appropriate, grant bond. If not, the judges can appeal it to the circuit court. And if the circuit court decides to grant bond, um, they can grant bond. If they don't want to grant bond, they can appeal it again to the court of appeals. So, you know, it's not, I think people often think like, I committed this offense, I got out right? Because I got bond. Like sometimes you're sitting there. So it's not, you know, it's not just in one day out the next, but you can pretty much, I mean, if you have a great enough argument, if you look at the the facts of the case, sometimes you can get out for cases that one thinks you shouldn't get out of, but they're also still alleged. You weren't, you know, it's not like you were convicted of murder and the next day they're like, be a free person, you know, just reacclimate to society. Um, <laughs> I've never no. heard anything like this before. That's that's interesting. <laughs> what is going on in Virginia? Oh, well, I see. I uh, guess I'm not doing a transfer to Virginia anytime soon. <laughs> well, I don't know what like so we so at the local level, right? We don't accept transfers from different states. So in that would be of, at the uh, state level. In, the, in, in terms of officers or offenders. Offenders. Okay, so you guys don't but do ICOTs at all. No. And also we, and in reference to offender or to, to officers, it's not like, like we have our own system, right? I think the only place where you can do, and I, I might be wrong in saying this, where you can do like agency to agency transfer would be maybe federal, where you wouldn't have to go through a different training. You know, I, I, mean, I, was, I understand mm-hmm. when I, I mean when I came down from PA to where I'm at now I mean it wasn't a transfer I had to I had to apply and go through the whole process I understand that part um so let's go so okay all right <laughs> so tell, tell us some more about um your kind of caseload and what you what you like and don't like about it um so when I first started I think dealing with Domestic, domestic violence offenders was a little rough. Um, for me, you know, I, I didn't grow up in a household, you know, where there was domestic violence or anything like that, but just hearing some of the stories and things that occurred, you're like, but how, you know, how did that happen? When I first started, I think I was like 
23, like fresh out of a master's degree, like had work experience, but nothing of this nature. Like I had a great knowledge of the court system, but working with offenders in this capacity was brand new to me. Um, So what I have come to learn and love about this job is the relationships that we build with our clients. So opposed to other entities, and this isn't isn't a knock at anybody where it's, you know, I'm your PO, you're going to do what I say, these are the rules, you better listen to me, right? We have the the mindset that, yeah, you have these conditions, right? Yeah, these are, this is what the court ordered, but ultimately you have a choice, right? I think oftentimes on supervision, we take that choice away from people, or we think that people don't have a choice when everybody has a choice, right? So what I do as an officer is based on the choices that you make, right? And I tell people straight up, I'm like, I didn't wake up today and decide to pick your name out of a hat and violate you, right? The reason I'm filing this violation or the reason court action is getting taken or the reason I'm going to be talking to you more, seeing you more is because of the actions that you've chosen to take. So in all that, I say you help people understand more about themselves and help them to be able to one, make better choices, two, understand um, the consequences, positive or negative of their choices and how those actions can future, can in the future impact their life. Um, This kind of reminds me of the conversation that we had last week, Chris. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you saw our last episode, Raina, but Chris said that his success rate with probationers was about 10%. Mm. What would that. you say your success rate is since you have a different kind of approach to how things are handled in your in your area? Um, so I don't know off the top of my head like what my success rate is, but I would definitely say somewhere between 75 and 80%. Chris, you hear that? Do you hear? I, th- I think we need. Hold on. I think we need to define what success rate is. Okay. Success rate. Hold on. Hold on. Success rate based off of recidivism, which is mostly what people kind of track, or is it based off successful completion? Because those are two different things and they're vastly different. Okay, your ten percent. Um, what was that? My ten percent is off successfully completion, which is basically oh my God. you got on you got on probation. <laughs> You did everything judge wanted to do. You did your entire time with no violations and you successfully closed without having to go back to court. Most of the times that people get off my probation is we had to take them back to court and the judge terminated their probation for whatever reason. Um, and then of course there's recidivism, which I believe nationally is around like 30, 33% is what they say nationally where recidivism rate is. So I guess, so we need to ask, re-ask the question is, what it uh in terms of which one of those two are you looking at successful completion or looking at recidivism well when i ask the question i'm referring to successful completion so i think even looking at it both ways when you look at recidivism within my agency i believe the last um information we got if i'm not mistaken it was like 76 or 78 percent of people that had not you know recidivated so that's why I did mine between 75 and 80. It might be higher, you know, it might be a little <laughs> bit lower, but it's definitely, you know, somewhere, somewhere that in that range. Amazing. That but is amazing. My, so a follow-up to that then is based on the really low level 
misdemeanor crimes that you guys are receiving? Is that a big factor in it? Whereas opposed to on the state side, where they're dealing with felony cases and parole, I'm sure their recidivism and successful completion rates are probably much lower, um, probably closer towards my end, I would say. Do you think it's just because of the type of clients you guys are receiving? I think yes and no. I mean, you know, we have sex offender cases. We have people that have mental health issues. We have people that have substance abuse issues. Um, They may not be as extreme or as controlled, I guess you could say, as, you know, what you state, what you face at the state side. Um, But a lot, that's not the right word, a lot of, but some of the times, you know, our people, when they commit those higher offenses that would warrant them being on state probation, um, I don't want to say like we saw it coming, but maybe what we did or what we tried to do was not necessarily effective for them. But kind of echoing what you said, a part of it is, you know, when I'm dealing with a family issue and whatever happens and the court gets involved, you know, it could be something that was a one-time offense, you know, like when I, when I think about domestic violence and the caseload that I have, all of us, and, and this sounds wild, like all of us are one action away <laughs> from being on my caseload, right? You get, you know, it's opposed to you willingly going out there and selling drugs or using drugs or doing something of that nature. Not to say you don't willingly abuse your significant other, but there's so much that can can be considered domestic violence. You know, there's so many cultural factors and that's not that's not me saying that different cultures are correct in the way that they handle things, but just in that translation from what happens in somebody else's country to the United States. So yes, you you might be right <laughs> in what you're saying, but I don't I don't think anywhere, you know, we take that that factor into into account. Oh look, he he has nothing to say. Look at him. <laughs> nothing. Chris, come on. Cat got your tongue today. <laughs> hey, listen. I'm, okay, so I understand like the difference between how my agency does things and how your department is doing things. And I'm not saying either one is right or wrong. Mm-hmm. I just know I couldn't I couldn't be on your side with what you're telling me in terms of what they do. But I mean, it basically seems like how do I say this? All right, we all do motivation, motivational interviewing. Mm-hmm. And a big part of motivational interviewing is that people are autonomous. And I, I, I express that to my people all the time, especially like, you know, when I'm going over electronic house arrest rules or electronic monitoring rules. I'm like, listen, these are the rules. If you don't follow them or you break them, that is your decision to make. But just realized I'm the one that holds you accountable. Where I, I believe on your, your side is kind of like your version of accountability is I do a little bit of paperwork. I give it to the judge and then somebody else, I'm assuming maybe the sheriff's department or somebody, they hold you accountable. Whereas opposed to we do, we hope we do that. Like if no. if you're violating your house arrest, guess what? I'm coming to arrest you. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's not like I do a little bit of paperwork, I send it off, and then somebody else shows up to do hey, it. Hey, hey, don't but try to minimize does, it. Yeah. 
I'm just, I'm just, I'm just saying, I'm not saying neither one is right or wrong. I'm just saying this is how our system. But at the up. end of the day, we both end up in front of the judge. Like no matter how that person gets arrested or gets served or who comes and picks them up, at the end of the day, we're all in front of the judge. So yep. that to me is, I don't want to say irrelevant. We're doing the exact same thing. Or we're doing different things, but the end result is the same, the same being in front yeah. of a judge. I feel like that breaks down a barrier, though, because when you're that person, like Chris, like, oh, I have these handcuffs, it's about to go down. But that person may be like a little more closed off as opposed to being with Irena. You know, they don't have that fear, that apparent fear in their office. Mm-hmm. Uh, before I, before I, uh, I you know, finalize my opinion on a different <laughs> system, I got a few more questions. So, first of all, um, what kind of safety equipment are you issued? So, I mean, we don't, we don't have a vest. We don't have, so I, so I work in the courthouse, right? My main office is in the courthouse. And then I have a satellite office at one of the the county buildings. So we don't have tasers. We don't have guns. We don't have batons. We don't have flashlights. We don't have safety vests. We don't have none of that. Um, and I'm fine with it. <laughs> okay. Okay. Are you, do you, are you expected to do home contacts? No, we don't do home contacts. All of our people okay. come to our office. Okay. Now their condition, so they don't—they're not subject to searches or anything like that. So when you, you well, when you enter the courthouse, no, um, you mean by general, us? Yeah, or like no. you know, Fourth Amendment waiver, home searches, anything like that. Nope. Okay, that's not a requirement of their probation at all. No. Do you feel? Or is it more, or is it highly likely a lot of defenders, especially your maybe low level drug dealers or um, you know your burglars and things like that? Do you feel that they are out there doing these things and they're just not being caught because no one's coming to check? Well, typically I don't I don't have those offenses, um, so I I can't really speak to you know if somebody is well. Let me take that back. We do on occasion have. Uh, robbery or those type of charges, but it's typically from a family member. So they robbed their mom of her iPhone, you know, or their significant other um, of their iPhone or things of that nature, um, or took money from their family members, but nothing, again, everything that I do is family related um, or an adult against a minor. So if it was, you know, if you went and stole Britney's money that would be in general district court that wouldn't be with me so I can't really I can't really speak to that I know you know stuff happens for lack of better words within families and different things occur um you know I think we all can attest that maybe you got in an argument with a family member or something of that nature and it may not have escalated to this point but you know two days later you guys were fine so in the heat of the moment um you know a lot of things happen but I, I don't believe that necessarily in some of these cases going to the homes would make that much of a difference. So is this just your case though? Is this the entire department that you work for? So my age, so my agency, so I work under the JNDR court, which is the juvenile and domestic relations court. None of us do home visits on the juvenile probation side which is, again, another <laughs> different side. Part of their requirements is they do home visits. But on the adult side for local community-based 
we don't do home home visits. All right. So question, question. So like here where I'm at, if someone's on for a domestic violence offense, they're not able to possess uh, firearms or ammunition. Um, and our domestic violence officers are required to periodically check the home to make sure that they don't have those things. That's something you guys just don't, don't even do whatsoever. So there is, so for us, um, and I don't want to misspeak. So if you do have a protective order that's active against you, you cannot possess a firearm. Um, and if I'm not mistaken, just because it's not at the top of my head right now, um, a domestic violence conviction does not bar you from holding a firearm. Regardless if it's felony or misdemeanor? Well, I believe if it's a felony, it might. Um, I don't remember the code section off the top of my head. We typically usually deal with this when there is a protective order. And I can look it up real quick. Just this, to- this is so interesting. Mm-hmm. She has this whole different type of agency. I might even put this in the podcast. I'm probably going to edit this part out, but I've, I've never heard of this before. Chris, help me. Understand. No, I mean, it's, it's, I mean, every, that's what we tell um, all of our listeners is that, you know, every, every state and every agency is different mm-hmm. in terms of what they do and how they do things. Um, Are the requirements like said, I, to be higher different too? Like what, the requirements to be higher for your agency versus the state? I don't believe they're any different. But you guys get paid more. Still, yeah, still, you know, a bachelor's degree um, or a minimum bachelor's degree, if you have experience, experience, you know, but it's not like they're like, it's definitely more competitive um, at our level. They have much higher turnover rate at the state level than we have. You know, we have better benefits. We got better (laughs) pay, you know, all of that. So and we're not, and I hate to, to sound this way, and it is, again, it's not to diminish anybody, but we're, I mean, we're not out doing, you know, home searches in the field, doing all of that stuff. So you guys, you guys don't do any kind of, this is not you guys do really do any kind of enforcement. It's more, it's more just social work. And then if there's a issue, so you follow up, you follow a violation, you what, send it to the judge? Who does it go so to? So we file the violation. Our supervisor um, goes over the violation. We submit it to the clerk's office. They docket it. If it's immediate arrest warrant or the KPS that we're asking for, we send it through judge's chamber so it can get uh, to the judge that same day for him or her to sign it. And then a warrant gets issued. And then who, who handles it from there? So if the warrant gets issued, it goes down um, to the sheriff's department and they then serve the warrant on the person. How um, how receptive are they to going out and doing that? That's their job. I mean, that's part of their their role. So it's not. I mean, part of part of their role is to go out and serve warrants on individuals. So I mean, I mean, I understand, I understand that. I mean, that's I think the sheriff's office everywhere. But in terms of like, is that something like, oh, well, let me get right on that, or is it kind of like, yeah, this is bottom of my list. I'm I'm working on other, I'm do, working on warrants for other more serious stuff, because I know back in PA, mm-hmm. we were bottom of the list. Well, then again, it was, it was also, I was also doing juvenile back there, but still, I mean, it'll be the bottom of their list, and rarely did they ever actually get to it. Um, where I guess here, since we do our own warrants, they don't go out looking for these people because we do it ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm just trying to figure out like what is their priority level 
in terms of when you when they get these warrants come down for you they're like oh let me get right on that or is it or can it just sit and then the offender is still reporting to you while they have this violation out there so i mean if the offender is still reporting to me while that violation is is out there if you know say the violation got signed it's active and they come and see me tomorrow it's a hey hold up i'm in the middle of something (laughs) and i'm making a phone call and you know they're getting arrested in my office or um you know sometimes if the sheriff's department isn't able to serve them say they get pulled over for speeding and they run them the police will get the police will pick them up and then transfer them to transport them to the jail so you know it's not the sheriff's department tried once and they're done um you know they do make a few different you know several different attempts but you know sometimes people move the address that i might have put on the warrant um, they go there and it's a random person living there and they're like, I don't know who this person is. Um, That's kind of how it was in my department. Nobody Listen, just... Go ahead, Chris. <laughs> no, but Bray, you, you would at least have to go out to at least verify the address. They don't even do that at all. <laughs> well, they provide us... So, so they provide us mail. You know, we have to have something you know, that's that's verifying that they live there so i can mail them a letter they can bring me a piece of mail and i know that's not you know the most definite way to know that somebody's living there you know but yeah, I, I live with mama but you know i'm putting mama's address down but for real for i'm living with baby mama mm-hmm. you don't you don't really know where i be at mm-hmm. I'm, I'm out here doing my thing exactly <laughs> beating them up you don't know what qualifies a person to be uh, what qualifies a case i guess to be with your agency let's just break it down for me because this sounds crazy sure so um again if the case goes through the district level court so any adult case that's heard under at least in my particular agency under the juvenile and domestic relations district court right if the if a case is heard in that court and they place that individual on probation, they come through me. There's also sometimes, um, this is a more rare situation, where say a case gets certified to circuit court um, and they bring it down to a misdemeanor or for whatever reason they choose to have us supervise them, um, sometimes we get circuit court placements as well. But mainly it's from our court um, and those charges being placed on probation. Okay, so I live in Fairfax County. Uh huh. Right. My girl wouldn't. My girl wouldn't give me part of her stimulus check, and I smack her a couple times. That lands me on your caseload. So if the incident happened in Fairfax, um, so if the if the incident happened in Fairfax, the case will be a Fairfax case. Okay. Um. So. If you well, decided, I'm trying to figure out like what what determines if it goes to you or it goes somewhere else. Like what would be the deciding factors? So my case is all of juvenile and domestic relations matters. So the family matters, um, and then we also have a juvenile side because there is juvenile court as well. So those family matters, and then adult crimes where a child um, was involved. So like a rape case, right? But this is just but the rape case if it gets reduced, say to like a misdemeanor sexual battery it would maintain with us. General district court holds cases such as 
DWIs, the drunken publics, the robbery of, you know, I just went to your house and robbed you. Um, crime crimes. Crime crimes, yeah. <laughs> if you want to put it like that. <laughs> so crimes that don't involve something that happened in the house. Correct, for the most part. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. I would like to work for that agency. I like that. <laughs> I do. Hmm. I didn't know something like that existed. I'm so glad we got you on the podcast today. <laughs> I feel like uh, that'll be a good fit for you, Brett. I know, right? <laughs> oh my gosh, yes. But I mean, like I said, you gotta go out nowhere. What I'm talking about? Yes. Sounds cushy. They come see you. Yeah. And you get paid more than the state. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. I can see why it's competitive. Yeah. <laughs> So do you guys set your own schedules or is it like an eight to five type of thing? So we're typically eight to four thirty. Um, you know, obviously we're working home uh, because of COVID um, and all of that. So we're still eight to four thirty. But I think some of us, you know, have granted some leniency <laughs> and, you know, worked, you know, a little bit of an alternate schedule just to, to be able to fit all of our clients in and, and work with their schedules as well. So how's that, how's that working from home? Like, what is, like, what are you, do you, so you don't actually see them anymore. You're just on the phone. So we do phone contact. We do FaceTime. We do uh, Microsoft Teams. Um, but because our offices are closed, they're not um, actually coming in to meet with us. Do they have probation fees? Supervision fees? So some agencies in the state do. Ours does not. I figured <laughs> this is a cushy probation, you know. <laughs> this is easy for the offender. Sounds like it. You know, damn, my PO ain't gotta come see me. Yeah, all okay. I gotta do, all I gotta do, all I gotta do is va- FaceTime them. Do they take drug tests? So they do. Um, so it's not necessarily a requirement. Um, it is a condition that we can drug test you at any time, but we're not necessarily drug testing everybody. So some Me cases, either. you know, have substance related issues. Some don't. Do you do that yourself or you send them out to like a third party eight? Uh... We do them ourselves and then we send them to the county lab. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. What are, so for your type of caseload, like what are the standard conditions? Like what exactly are you checking for? Like what, are, like what are the standard conditions that they have to do? So plan, I mean, money doesn't seem like it's really a, a factor. Besides reporting to you by answering the phone when you call them, like what, like what exactly do they have to do? Sure. So, I mean, with a lot, well, with majority of the domestic violence cases, they are required to do a domestic violence program. Um, that's an 18 week program that they pay for out of pocket. We have um, a county run program, and then there's a few different agencies that run those programs. Um, what I think a lot of people don't understand is a lot of times when it's your first offense for domestic violence and they give you um, the first time offenders program, you're on a two year deferred disposition. So, um, you know, you're usually on active probation until completion of the domestic violence program, or um, if there are any other requirements such as like substance abuse or mental health. And um, when you're done with active probation, we're done supervising you, but the case with the court is still active. So at the end of that two year period, um, we'd run a record check on you to make sure that there were no no further violations of law. And if everything's fine, then the case can get dismissed. Um, that doesn't mean that the case is off your record. It's just um, dismissed. Some other standard conditions, um, you know, include, at least in our area, you can't leave um, 
the DC, DC, Maryland, and Virginia without permission. You just need to um, get that permission prior and approval prior um, to going. No illicit drug use. Um, no excessive alcohol use. Um, notify us of any changes to your address and/or phone number. Um, those are pretty much like the main conditions. What's the most common thing that you violate someone for? The most common thing is you is probably non-completion of programs with a mix of getting a new offense. Do they have like community service and stuff like that too? Um, so sometimes they'll be ordered to community service, but that's not, it's not usually common. Cause that's like a standard thing where I worked. Mm. What about Chris, do you have uh, an agency that's similar to the one that Raina works for? in your state no we do we do everything we do everything at a state level we do probation and parole and that's it i think this agency (laughs) i think this agency is pretty cool because like for like she's saying like first-time offenders going through a program like this versus going through a state probation or you know parole how we do it I think that's beneficial to a lot of people because some people have never been in trouble in their life. And like she said, they just had this little infraction or this little issue with their spouse or whatever. I think this is a good alternative to doing the regular, regular stuff that we do. So mostly you get Irena first or first timers. We have a lot of first time offenders, um, but we do have some people who are regulars. Um, So sometimes, you know, the courts will, even on a third domestic violence offense, which would be a felony, they'll reduce it to a misdemeanor. Um, so, I mean, they do have that option. Obviously they wouldn't be under the first um, offenders program, but they may still have conditions, you know, such as completing the domestic violence program again, or mental health treatment or substance abuse treatment, things of that nature. I mean, I, I, mean, I do kind of, I can kind of see a, a benefit in having a softer probation. I, I'll go with the word softer. <laughs> not, not, not to be disrespectful to you, what you do, because um, I'm, I'm clearly 70% uh, uh, success rate is very um, admirable. Um, I, I, could, I can see that being a, a positive thing. It doesn't need to be a separate agency or separate department. I, mean, I guess it's all up for debate and budgets. Um, but I can see a benefit for that. Um, like we have like low risk, we have like low risk officers that um, supervise people that are, that are, they score really low on our risk needs assessment tools, which a big part of that is their criminal history. If they don't really have much for criminal history or their first offense, they usually score low. And that officer really very rarely ever sees them to report online. They fill out a form online. I think, um, I think periodically they might be checked on with a phone call or maybe a pop-up to their house, but it's, it's very rare. Um, and I can, I can see that being a benefit. As long as you're doing what you're supposed to be doing while you're on probation, you know, then everything is Gucci. Do you ever think that some of your clients need a more stricter probation? Like they need the state probation and parole? Like do you think they, they need that? You're like, going, uh, this might not be an arena case. Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, we have people who both of us are supervising on occasion, you know, because they have the charges in my court and then the charges in circuit. So, um, I think that what we also do is I wouldn't necessarily say that I've ever had a case that I was like, oh, they need state probation, but we typically see our people on probation about once a month. 
Um, so if I know something's up or something's weird, I might have you come in and see me, you know, a little more frequently than, you know, just that standard once a month, or there might be some other little things that I enact to try to get you on the right path. I don't know. I just feel like I like something I'm not, not coming at you because I, I, really, I, I really respect and value how you're approaching the job and what you guys do. Um, but I mean, if you think something's off, let's say they're not, com- you, you think they're not committing another DV related offense, but let's say you think they might be selling drugs. We'll just keep it so simple. You think they might be selling drugs for whatever. You have some kind of hint or tip or some kind of inclination they're doing that. I mean, but you tell them to come and see me. So see me once a month, you're going to come see me twice a month. How is that really supervising them to make sure they're not hurting the community? You know what I'm saying? Like, cause you, cause like for me, if I'm having those, those feelings, I'm coming to your house more often. Yeah, you got to come see me in the office more often, but I'm coming to your house more often. There's more pop-ups. You know what I mean? There might be, hey, listen, we're here to do a warrantless search today, me and the team. You know what I mean? And that's how we hold them more accountable. We're opposed to, I guess, I mean, the most you can do is what? Just increase the amount of time they come to stay, they answer your your Zoom call? (laughs) 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 Right? (laughs) No, I mean... I think when in using your particular situation, you know, I can't, it, it, there may have been clients that I'm like, oh, he might be selling drugs. But I, again, like you said, I don't go to their house, right? In that situation, you selling, you selling drugs, not to say it doesn't have anything to do with me, right? Because obviously you're on supervision. You can't be selling drugs. That's illegal. But in my position, that's not the role that I take. Right. So in your position, that's what you would do in my position. If you know, if I think you're using drugs or if I get a call from grandma saying, oh, I saw him snorting such and such the other day, you know, a day comes by and be like, hey, your name got called for a random UA. I need you here by 2.30. You know, and if you if if something comes across we'll deal with it then. Right. But we aren't. And, and again, like no disrespect to what you guys do. Right. But, or what you do in that position, but, but we're not out actively looking for issues. Right. Whereas what I'm getting from you in the way that your agency operates is you guys are more and, and I hate to use the word proactive versus reactive, but in a sense, you guys are more proactive and I'm going to go search because this information has come to me. And that's not to say that we aren't proactive either, but we aren't, we aren't going to the home. We aren't scratching to find this information or trying to look for it ourselves. If it comes across us, we will deal with it as appropriate, but we're not we're not knocking on the door. And I think that's why I feel like probation is a setup because Mm -hmm. like for the agency Chris works for, you are doing a little bit more digging. You know what I'm saying? So it does come, it does seem like a setup sometimes. I can see why people say that versus what, you know, how you do it. So, so let me ask you this then. So grandma calls, he's not, he's not using the drugs because there are people that sell drugs, but don't, they don't use drugs. It's rare, 
But there are there are people like that. To them, it's just a business. Grandma calls and says, "Hey, I know he's on probation with you for you know beating his baby mama or whatever, um, but he's selling drugs. What you do? So what? You what, do? <laughs> what I'm gonna do is let no, grandma like... know. You know, <laughs> you know, I you know let her know that you know I thank her for calling me and appreciating you know and appreciate her for addressing the concerns that she has with me." Um, I would let her know the steps that she could take. So she could call, like if she lives at home with him and he has this stash of drugs, she can call the police. Period. Thank you. You know, like, you know, if he comes in my office and the drugs fall out his pocket, because, you know, he, you know, thought he was, he got through security or whatever and thought he was going to sell at the courthouse, then that would be a different discussion. Um, But, you know, sometimes I think, we take as officers full ownership of making sure that our offenders are held 100% accountable for, for things that are not always in our control. Right. I agree. Like I've had, I've had mothers (laughs) mothers call me to tell me, can you have my kid make their bed? No, like there's some things that you as a parent have to take initiative of like you know if I'm dealing with a 45 year old man that lives at home that's something you should have stilled in him 43 years ago at two years old when he could you know start doing things on his own so you know okay okay, Michelle can't raise a man over here (laughs) (laughs) this guy is funny today he is (laughs) um you know but it's it's my role is to is to make sure that you are compliant with the rules of pretrial or pretrial or probation supervision and take action accordingly. I can guide you and assist you and give you advice if you ask me for it or resources for different things that you need help with. Um, but it is not my job to 100% fix you. It's not my job in the current role that I'm in, right? Maybe if I was with another agency like you are, it would be different. You know, my role is not to be all up in every single thing that you do, right? I think I heard somebody, you know, like on a different episode, like their relationships have to get approved. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, like we're not, you know, you could have beat the crap out of your baby mama, got a protective order, the protective order got dropped so y'all can have contact and six months later she can be pregnant by you. You know what I'm saying? We can have discussions on how to have a healthier relationship, you know, or if this issue happens, how you can control your anger better or what you can do so that you don't come back here. But I'm not dictating who you sleep with and who comes in your house. (laughs) Like that's a little intrusive. I like this. I like that there's a, a, a different option. You know, some cases need to be supervised the way Chris supervises them. Mm-hmm. And then there's some offenders that will benefit from being supervised the way that your mm-hmm. agency does it. I feel like that's a nice balance to have. I feel like more states should have that. Mm-hmm. What you think, Chris? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, obviously that's some crazy I mean, I, people I, out there. I, need I, I agree that I think different, uh, different offenders need different kind of um, supervision. I agree with that. Um, I like Virginia. I'm moving to Virginia. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'll agree with that. I'll I'll leave that part at that. Um, 
I mean, I don't know. The way I view it is, you know, you're you're on probation. My primary mission is community protection. That's that's how I view it. Um, you know, different people I think take their jobs or view their jobs differently, but community protection is my main thing because I do live in a county that I work in. You know what I mean? So to me, it's you know, I live here, my family's here. So if if you're doing wrong, I feel like it's my responsibility as your supervising officer because you're on my caseload to make sure that you're being held accountable so that you make those positive changes. Because I feel like if, if, if okay, I'm on probation for beating my girlfriend up, and but I'm still doing my dirt that I haven't been caught for yet, then what exactly am I learning just not to beat my girlfriend anymore? Does that, does that make it okay? That's the only lesson I'm learning is, well, I'm, uh, is that I'm on probation for not beating my girlfriend. So just don't do it anymore. So Raina doesn't violate me. Um, but Hey, I'm still, uh, I'm still keep breaking into these cars, breaking into these homes. As long as I don't get caught, it is what it is. And I just, but I, I think that's believe. a misconception, right? So I think, I, I think that, most of most of the people that I have on supervision are typically not out there committing. And this is just my personal opinion, right? I, I don't have any statistics to back this, right? But after doing this for so long, a lot of my people have substance abuse and mental health issues. You know, they may not have come, right? So say you know, say that every day you came home from school, your mom was getting beat by your dad, right? That's how you envision a relationship. That's all you know as what a healthy, supportive relationship looks like, right? So when you get a girlfriend or a boyfriend, that is the behavior that you exhibit because that's what you know, right? Or your dad drink every day or your mom has a history of mental illness and was never diagnosed. So you have all of these compounding factors that have made you who you are, right? And just again, from my experience only, you know, a lot of my people, they might be, but I don't have any inkling or think they are, aren't out beating their girlfriend and breaking into cars and robbing banks and dining and dashing from the grocery store. You know what I'm saying? A lot of this stuff is, is, issues that happen between or in the four walls of their home and because they've maybe never had therapy or were too ashamed to talk about it or this these were habits that they saw not just in their home but when they went to visit grandma or when they went to their aunt and uncle's house so this is what they think is stable right opposed to me where I grew up with two loving and supporting parents who I never saw lay a hand on one another who I never saw get heated to the point that glasses were thrown where alcohol wasn't abused in my home, you know, and neither one of my parents have mental health issues. So I'm grounded in my foundations while my clients and anybody else we deal with are grounded in their foundations. So sometimes it's assisting people to break those, you know, as we like to call it generational curses or generational cycles by saying like, Hey, it's cool to go talk to somebody like tell people what you're going through. You know, you can be able to express yourself in a healthy way, not just by abusive behavior. 
This is good. That is good. Um, I know one of the frustrating things when I worked in juvenile was, you know, we have this 17-year-old kid with all these issues, and it's gotten the parents are looking at us like, hey, we expect you to fix them in the six months to a year that are on their own supervision. So how do you how do you do that dealing with these individuals that have long history of um, learned behavior from their parents or their family members on what, you know, unhealthy relationships are? How do you fix that? You know, and I mean, how long do you I mean, they come in to see you for what, maybe half an hour, 40, 45 minutes? How do you fix a lifetime of negative behavior in the little bit of time that you have with them? So I think. First of all, it's not my job to fix it. Um, My job is to plant seeds, to give you the tools if you choose to use them to make and sustain positive life changes in your life. So I'm not going and saying, Chris, this is who you are on paper. Tell me all your traumas. You need to not talk to your mom because blah, blah, blah. You need to stay away from your dad. Your girlfriend's a bad influence. You know, your kids are feeding off their mother. That's not my job, right? I'm, nor am I a licensed therapist. So, um, so my job as a probation officer is to assist you through that change process, right? So we, you know, we also use motivational interviewing. I'm also a motivational interviewing trainer um, or, you know, evidence-based practices communication trainer um, at the state level for our new probation and pretrial officers. The one thing we stress, again, like I keep saying, it's, it's not my job to fix you. Um, you know, I can give you the tools and if you ask for assistance, guide you through the process. But in addition to what I'm offering you, if you're in a domestic violence program for 18 weeks, for two hours a week, you're going to a program with trained clinicians, right? Um, in addition to that, you're having homework assignments that you have to do. So it's, it's a multi-layered process. You know, if there's an inkling that you have substance abuse issues, we're sending you for an evaluation. Um, Also, you know, if it's whether court ordered or not, you know, if you're sometimes exhibiting different behaviors, um, we might send you for a mental health evaluation. So we look at it from the perspective of my goal isn't to fix you. You fix and heal yourself through the means that you are able to. And I will assist you by providing you the tools to get to where you need to get to. But I'm not, I'm not fixing you. Because if I fix you or I think I fix you and something goes wrong, you're not responsible. You don't feel any sense of responsibility for your actions or your behavior because I did it. If you take accountability for your own stuff and are able to open up and decide, you know what, I think this week I'm going to talk more calmly to my partner because I've been a little nasty the last week and there's a hiccup this week and something happens and you go off the hinges, you can look at yourself and reevaluate what you need to do to be able to accomplish that for a week. If I tell you to go do it, but you told me and it didn't work. So you, your agency, your agency doesn't deal with people who have, you said DWI offenses or nothing like that. No, we typically don't have, in my agency, we typically do not have anybody who has a DWI. 
Okay, so I think that's where the disconnect was for me. Like mm-hmm. I'm sitting here when I start started the interview, or mm-hmm. I'm sitting there thinking you're just a regular probation officer, and this agency is totally different from anything that we've ever talked about on the podcast, Chris. So I'm, I'm st- my mind has to get <laughs> adjusted I mean, to this is just it's totally different. Mm-hmm. I, I think mean, that's this why the I'm, whole purpose of this podcast is to show the many different facets of community supervision, you know, community right. corrections, probation, parole. There's different agencies do things differently. There's different officers that do things differently. And here's your chance to really get a feel mm-hmm. for what are the different options out there. Because, you know, you know, Irena's agency might be something that's a good fit for you, which is for me, it's not a good fit for me at all. Um, my personality is couldn't, just couldn't do it. Um but I yeah, just, that's a, it's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. I think it's a good thing. It's a very good thing. I just wish I knew this before I started the interview, Chris, because I could have asked different questions. I would have approached it differently. I had no idea this. It was totally different. Uh, hey, listen, we, these, these interviews are off, off the top. Just let <laughs> the conversation flow. Let it go the way it goes. Okay. Um, so, Irina, my question for you then is, if they fail at your level, they fail with you, what happens? So if they fail at our level, um, so, and I'm assuming by fail, you mean we have to file a violation. Um, yeah, so uh, what, you guys revoke them? Like what, what exactly, what are, what's the terminology? What do you guys do? Like, yeah, we don't want him no more. Like what, like what, what do you, <laughs> how do you guys phrase it? So um, there's two ways we go about violating people. The first way is via show cause rule. So it's you violated whatever conditions, but we don't feel the need um, for you to be immediately arrested. Um, and then we have uh, capius, which is essentially an immediate arrest warrant. Um, both ways, the the end means of both is you end up in court. Um, just one is at a slower pace than the other. Um, so at the hearing, what we do is we take into account all of the different factors. So, you know, you were violated for, let's just say, not enrolling in a domestic violence program. Okay, so I filed this violation in September it's now November, we're in court, what steps have you taken? Um, You know, if you've shown good faith in uh, getting enrolled or maybe even starting a session or two, there's the possibility that we would ask for the violation to be continued. And let's just say we'll continue it out for six months. During this whole period of time, you remain on supervision. And then when that six month period um, is up, we'd go back to court and be like, okay, Mr. Smith completed his domestic violence class. So we would ask that um, the the violation be dismissed or null prost. Um, same thing for an arrest warrant. And the one different when we issue one difference, I'm sorry, when we issue that KPS or an arrest warrant is so if that person doesn't make bond, um, they've been in jail the whole time, right? So obviously how could they have been enrolled in any programs? Um, so we might ask that they get released um, on pretrial supervision, um, if not just release them back onto probation pending pending the court hearing. Um, a lot of times, again, when we issue those KPSs or arrest warrants, it's because they've committed a new offense, usually with the same victim, um, or they have outstanding warrants in other jurisdictions. So you know, we, we like to give people the chance to be successful on probation. Um, so we're usually giving them another try, but after 
kind of the second try it's like mm. or if they're we're usually asking you know that they either serve that time um you know if we go back to that hearing and you still haven't made any any efforts to do anything you know and sometimes we play I'm not sure if you guys play this game but you know your violation is for a new charge that charge gets continued past the date you have court date so you're playing kind of court tag Mm -hmm. with the court date so sometimes you know we have you know we have that situation too but usually those are when that occurs when it's a a higher level offense that somebody's gotten yeah so there's so there's never any situation where it's like okay well you failed the arena so now we're pushing you up to state no that's not how it works okay Mm -hmm. So that case just will remain in your courts. Mm-hmm. So the worst that can happen is they just, they just go do whatever time that they have to do. They do their time or they uh, end up with a guilty conviction. Like so I they said, all you know, start out as deferred? No. no, 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 no. Oh, There's don't. definitely some that are guilty. Um, okay. But, you know, depending on the situation, um, you know, you might just have that guilty conviction and be done with. Hmm. So but you it's said an ins- conviction and then there's no more supervision? Mm-hmm. Hmm. I'll take option B and be done with it rain on her Zoom calls. <laughs> Do you ever have it to where some people never show up to see you? Like with a uh, regular probation, some offenders just don't show up and then oh you do? Yes. Yeah, we definitely have those cases. We try all means to um to get in contact with them to um, <laughs> but it seems so easy with house, them. except go to their house oh <laughs> but who says they really live there um <laughs> i mean you we would also never, you would never know exactly um you know we also will check ice um you know if we have some word that they might be being detained by ice just to make sure you know that we're not filing arrest warrants and they're in ice custody and then just keep up with their ice status from there has this agency been active or in place as long as the state level has or is this this seem like some new age type of probation no 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 i mean so so again we're so all of the the local community-based probation in virginia is under department of criminal justice services so i don't remember exactly you know when they were founded um but my agency's been around forever um so you know, you have counties like in in more rural parts where the agency may service several different counties, um, but mostly in the higher populated areas is one county, you know, per. The agency is typically one county. Um, but I mean, we've definitely been around a long time. What's the court called again? <laughs> So the court that so so the court that I work for is the Fairfax County Juvenile and Domestic Relations District Court. Um, so that's that's the agency that I work for. However, all of the all of the like I'm a county employee, right? Some other places who do the same job that I do are state employees, but their job is obviously local local probation. And then the unit that I work in within the court is the Community Corrections Services Unit. What would you tell somebody that wants to um, get into probation and they're asking you, hey, do I want to go your route or do I want to go Chris's route? (laughs) So I think, you know, the first thing that I would ask them is 
what is their view of probation, right? Because I think, you know, me and you, right, we have different views on what probation would be. So kind of understanding, you know, their core values and seeing if they're more towards law enforcement or if they're more towards, you know, being a social worker, like on you all scale. Um, from there, just kind of, you know, if, you know, I've had interns before, right? So some of my interns have turned up to be cops or join the military because they're more, you know, law enforcement, you know, they, they, they uh, tether more on that side. Um, but with me, they were able to understand and get a clear, uh, see more clearly why we operate in the way we operate. So if possible, I would let that person know if you're able to shadow with somebody, you know, who does more like what I do, shadow with them to see if you like that. Or if you're able to shadow with somebody like Chris, shadow with somebody there too. Um, you know, just to get a feel for what it is you like to do. Like, I, I think personally, you know, had I just applied for a position at the state level, I probably would have hated my job. Um, because that's not who I am. So, you know, just knowing who you're dealing with, what you're able to handle and what you want to do and like to do yeah. is the best piece of advice I could give somebody. I think it's kind of dope mm-hmm. to be able to supervise. I mean, to be able to have a probation that is, if you're a first time offender, just example, and you're able to be on a probation like what you guys have, because it's it just seems weird to me that people have to abide by the same rules and everything that a person who has a long criminal history, who's been to prison multiple times, it's like this little old lady over here who just had her first offense ever. She's like 65 years old. She literally has to do the exact same thing as this person over here has to do. So I always thought that was strange. Even if it is on a, even if this old lady's on the low risk caseload, but she still has to abide by all of those same things as this hardened criminal quote-unquote hardened criminal over here mm-hmm. i've had i've had an old lady on my pro on probation with me before yeah Lord. it's like it so she, I, hit somebody, she hit somebody in the park because they they, they did something to her dog and do you and think they really, it's fair? they really gave her probation for that it's and it's not fair that they're held to the same exact rules as this this you know this guy you know who i'm talking about you know who this guy is <laughs> uh, i mean i think more states should have this type of thing Mm-hmm. Chris doesn't. <laughs> I didn't Chris, say that. On. I didn't say that. I said I think it is a good idea. Yeah. I think there's certain people that it will qualify for. Yeah. Certain yeah. offenses, certain people. Yeah. So yeah. when you said in your agency that when you said in your agency that there's like the lower level people who they only talk to, I think you said like once every three months. Three months or something who you aren't really, who you're, who are pretty much like the equivalent to my people, like in some respects, Yeah. you know, how do you, like, I guess, what are their offenses that they're, that they're on for? I mean, they're on low level unit. I mean, they're, they're on for crime, crime. Um, DWI, position of marijuana. Uh, DWIs. Oh wait, not DWI. I'm sorry, that can't be. DWIs, no, they they, they wouldn't qualify for. Um, uh, no, they wouldn't qualify. So I think B, I think DWIs automatically makes the system 
in the risk assessment tool, bump it up yeah. to where they're on regular supervised probation because this is a DUI, those are pretty serious offenses. But I mean, if you have somebody that did like, like a larceny or something, yeah. it's their yeah. first offense, um, you know, then yeah, they would you know probably be under uh, low risk supervision. And like I said, they would very rarely see that officer um, as long as they do their monthly online reporting, which is nothing. It's like, you know, you log in, you answer a couple of questions and it you know, sends the answers over to that officer. Um, personally, that's a caseload I couldn't do. Um, and I think every now and then the computer might tell the officer that need to go check on them or something. But normally, normally no, the officer wouldn't really, wouldn't really see them. And I think that's fine. I think for that kind of, for those self-correcting individuals, I think that's perfectly fine. I, I think that's fine. Um, domestic violence cases, like I said, I'm just going off experience of what we have here where I'm at. And, you know, those domestic violence cases are supervised pretty intensely because um, they have a lot of rules. Um, the officers seeing them more, officers making sure that they're, you know, if they have no contact orders and things like that, that they're abiding by that, that they're not in possession of firearms, um, that are, you know, they're attending their uh, abuser treatment, um, you know, they're, they're clean and things like that. Um, and of course, you know, the thing about it is that a lot of officers, we have discretion, you know what I mean? Yeah, here are the list of rules. These are rules apply to everybody on probation because in my state, the, the, rule, uh, the rules of probation are actually state laws. There's actually a state law that says these are the rules of probation. So everybody has to abide by it. So it's not like, you know, our agency decided, well, these are the rules. No, it's actually in the law. The law says these are the rules you have to follow while you're on probation. Of course, the judge can then add extra sanctions and extra rules upon you based on what your offense is and all the individual conditions that happen with your offense. Um, I think that's, that's perfectly fine. I think it's fine that everyone has different takes on it. Um, I just feel that when you're on probation, you need to be supervised. That's, that's all. But I not say. every DV case gets to your court and gets to your agency, right? Yeah, there's a lot of cases that don't even get super, or not a lot. Let me take that back. There's some cases that don't even get supervision. Like you could just be found guilty and serve jail time and be done. But there, is, there are some DVs on the on the state side, right? Correct. Yeah. When yeah. you have, you know, like I said, if you get that that third felony, the third, which is a felony, and they decide to certify it, um, you know, you could be supervised at the state level. So any misdemeanor uh, domestic violence case would go to your court. Yes. Dang, that's kind of... And the felonies would start in our court and oh. then if certified, go up to circuit. Dang, that's okay. interesting. How do, how do you get along with the state state office? I know you said you have some offenders that are on both. Mm-hmm. Like how, how, what, how is your relationship with them? Um, so we rarely deal with them. Um, it's, it's kind of a unique situation and when we do have a dual caseload. Um, it's mainly just for the purpose of, you know, supervising that case and making sure that we're both on the same page with what they're supposed to be doing. Um, there's not really much like tag team, um, but there is, you know, some collaboration on occasion, you know, when is your appointment scheduled for, so we can coordinate dates and times and things like that. And also does my, does the charge that he got put on with me violate his state probation and what are, you know, what's the deal with that and, and what could potential outcomes be? Um, Cause sometimes if that case violates and he has, let's say 10 years over his head, 
if he's gone away for 10 years, he can't comply with me. Right. Yeah. Did they, did he understand your role? Yeah. I think it's fairly known in Virginia. We just don't know. Yeah. Okay. I mean, like, I mean, we get people coming to our office for them and they get people coming to, you know, their office for us. So we, you know, I think, like Brittany said, you know, we know how we work internally, you know? So yeah. <laughs> I think it's just new to, to other people. Do you know any other states that have an agency similar to yours? Um, I mean, I think in Maryland, it's all just under one agency. Um, I don't know off the top of my head, you know, but I'm pretty sure that there's some where it's broken down. I need into, to do some research on this. Yeah, and so, you know, where the, the local is held at the county level and it's not just like one big probation entity for the whole state. So, I mean, I'm just I'm just sitting here like thinking like on a spectrum. It's kind of like, you know, there's like Raina and then there's you and I feel like I'm on that. And then there's like Kevin from last week and then I feel like there's me. You know what I mean? I feel like there's this like spectrum and I think it's all good. It's all good. As long as the main goal is to make a positive change in the offender in order to, you know, protect the community. I'm, I'm for it. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's not that we aren't, that we don't have, you know, community protection in mind. Like we definitely have that in mind. I think just our means of getting there is a little different than your means. And again, it's due to the type of people that mm-hmm. she supervises due to the type of cases. Mm-hmm. All right, Raina, as we start to wrap this up, um, are there any questions that you have for me or Brittany? None that I can think of off, you know, off the top of my head. Just thank you, you know, for for allowing me, you know, to have this discussion with you. And I hope that you're able to get more people who have, you know, different different spectrums, because I think we're all like in our own silos, like when it comes to to probation supervision and then like the stuff the stuff you see on the news, right? Like being from Virginia, right? I think of like the Chris Brown situation, right? Like mm. whatever happened there happened there, but then everybody thinks that was domestic violence. What he got is how I'm supervising my cases. And it's like, no, no, no. Like, you know, <laughs> <laughs> these are, you know, these are two completely, you know, that is not always what domestic violence is, you know, and domestic violence comes across in so many different ways. You know, it's, it's not always that bruise on your face or that smack or that throw in of car keys. Um, so I just, you know, the one thing that I would say is just, you know, do research, right? Like look into different things. So you, and ask questions, right? So you can get a better understanding of why things are the way that they are and not the way necessarily that you think they are or should be. That's just my two cents for the day. Hey, we really appreciate you. Um, thank you for being a family member on the Two Hats podcast. We appreciate your support. Um, thank you. you know, we look forward to uh, getting this information out there to the, to the to the public so that they can see that you know, probation is just not all the same everywhere you go. It is different. There's different elements to it. There's different approaches, um, different methodologies. And, you know, who am I to say what's right and what's wrong? 
as long as as long as we all achieve the same goals, we're all striving towards the same goals, um, which of course is community protection and you know uh, reducing recidivism, then that's what we're trying to do. Mm-hmm. So uh, Two Hats Family, I am Chris, technical probation officer. Um, we appreciate you guys listening to us today. Um, we have Arena here, um, just dropped a lot of knowledge on us, and we appreciate you. And of course, make sure you guys uh, follow us on IG. Our uh, page will be below at the Two Hats Podcast. Um, of course, we post this on YouTube, Spotify, Google Play, and Anchor. So you have different ways to listen to us. Make sure you check out all of our previous episodes. This is episode number 10. So it means we have nine other great episodes for you guys to listen to. And I mean, we're, we're, we're going to gambit. I mean, we've had sex offender officers, uh, pre-trial officers. Uh, we just had, you know, Irana here is a domestic violence officer. We've had um, uh, absconder unit officers. Um, so we're, we're, we're doing this for you guys, trying to drop all the knowledge so that you guys can make a decision um, about, you know, what, you know, what you're trying to get into. If you are trying to get into the probation, parole, super, community supervision field, or for those that are already in it, you can learn something. Because I'll tell you right now, I learned a lot today. Oh, my God. Yeah. I learned a lot today. And, I, you know, I've been saying that a lot, actually, recently, if you ever noticed that, Brittany, um, just listening to everybody else um, that we interview, because I'm learning a lot about how different agencies do things differently. There is no standard. There is no one way of doing things. So, guys, thank you again. Bye, y'all. We'll see y'all next week.